Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN, and I am so excited because it may finally be happening. So it was about a year ago where I spoke with, oh, several different people about this issue. You have insurance, I hope you do, homeowner's insurance, renter's insurance to protect yourself and if uh, your dog, which is covered in that insurance, were to do something, but that dog isn't covered because of the dog's breed, then you're not covered. It makes no sense. There's no forewarning about it for the most part. It just isn't right to discriminate anyway against breed, and that breed discrimination varies from state to state. So the breed discriminated against, say it's an Akita. How is that Akita different in Indiana compared to Illinois, where maybe insurance company X says, okay, you can have an Akita in Illinois, but no, 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 not in Indiana. It doesn't make any sense. So we kind of went partially there with legislation, taking a look at things last year. This year, the hope is that much more is done. And beside one more thing, one more thing the special guest is working on, which I love, because it's a big reason why pets are relinquished now, and that is housing. You can't find a place to live, especially with a dog who happens to be over 40 or 50 or 60 pounds. No way. That can be hard to do. Harder, much harder in some neighborhoods than others. And that's not right either. We will talk to Representative Rita Mayfield about all of this. Kara Burns is a veterinary technician specialist in nutrition. If you are anywhere near a veterinary conference, anywhere on the planet, (laughs) there she is probably speaking about something having to do with nutrition. And I want to talk about lots of different topics with you, Kara. Uh, But first of all, cats. So cats are known as being finicky. And I would argue that sometimes that's true, but more often especially if the cat has a history of eating well, yes. and then if a cat doesn't, yes, there's something going on. Yeah, absolutely. If a cat stops eating or decreases the amount that he's eating, the veterinary healthcare team absolutely needs to see that cat as soon as possible. Cats, now, uh, cats well, not eating is, is a big deal. And you mentioned the finicky, and, and thank you for mentioning that, because oftentimes... The finickiness is twofold. One, yes, we as cat owners, because we love them, can uh, create finickiness in our cats. But also, cats being cats, they have very strict flavor and texture preferences. So what I recommend is that in the first six months of a cat's life, expose them to canned foods, stews, um, different types of kibbles. You can do it all within the same brand so we're not getting you know GI upset, but they have to have those different texture experiences because they get fixed preferences and they won't change later in life um, when they may need to for a disease condition reason. So that's just um, a little uh, uh, tip um, that I have oh, for, I think that's for cat huge. owners. I think that's huge. And frankly, what you just said is now the common thinking, but it does fly in the face of what veterinary professionals said, I don't know, five years ago, 10 yes. years ago, whatever that number is. Yes. But today's thinking is exactly what you said, because there is, I know, demonstrable evidence that having that variety young in life or at any time in life you adopt a new cat. Once that cat set, settles in, yes. wait till the cat settles in. Right. But but then begin doing exactly what you said. Yes. Offer some variety because at some point that kidney disease diet may be required right. or some other specific diet and the cat's saying no. Yeah. And it's mostly 
texture even more than taste. Yeah, absolutely. And I've unfortunately I've seen it. Right, a, a cat has been on a certain shape kibble for the majority of its life. They develop uh, renal disease, and there's a you know a, a few specific renal disease therapeutic diets out there. We try to put them on that, but it's the kibble shape is different. So you have now a, a taste or a texture preference issue with a cat that really doesn't feel well, a cat that is stressed. There's no way they're going to eat that kibble or, yeah. you know, whatever um, is being offered. So, so we really need to think preventatively um, and start talking about texture, um, some flavors, but, but mainly texture. There's a lot of research that's gone into, Indeed. you know, what, what textures cats like. Now, something else mm. uh, that people ask me all the time, and I'm sure they ask you, you're walking down the street at the grocery store. They probably ask you, is it moist food or dry food? And my answer is yes, some of both, for really pretty much the reasons why we're talking about. Right, yeah. Um, Do you agree? Yes, especially, you know, if, if we are talking with our kitten owners, then I think for the sake of everyone, as long as they're getting um, – different textures to to sample if you will before six months of age but to your point if you're adopting a, a an older cat an adult cat or a senior mm-hmm. cat let's see what they like um but but yes we will get that i often get that question and um it really give them the the opportunity to try different things but then um, they don't have to then continue on a number of different things. Find what they like the best, go with that, in the back of your mind knowing that if we needed to go to a can or a different shape kibble, etc., um, later in life, we, we still can do that. I go even a little further, if mm-hmm. you will. I, I say periodically pull in. I, I agree with what yep. you're saying. Go with what they like. Yep. But periodically... Something's on sale, and you know the cat has liked it before. But periodically, get, get that thing that's on sale. Periodically bring in different things. I think the GI upset thing, while it may be true, kind of, mm-hmm. I think it's overdone a bit. That certainly could be the case, um, especially if you are not staying within a brand, whatever brand it is that, that you like. But you also have to remember the physiology of cats and dogs. And, you know, if they are used to a nutritional profile and how that profile is put together, and then maybe an owner does see something that um, is on sale or maybe um, seems on the face of it to be better. Maybe that's not a fixed formulation. Maybe that is a completely different nutrient profile. Mm-hmm. And that does have the opportunity to create some GI issues. All right. Let's get back on the topic we okay. were talking about in the first place. <laughs> so your finicky cat, yes. quote unquote, yep. is, is not eating. And um, we're smiling. We're laughing. We're having a good time. But I will tell you that if a cat doesn't eat for amount of time, and you'll tell me what that time is in your opinion, then really a medical professional needs to be seen quickly. Yes, yeah. Um, Oftentimes you'll hear, you know, if the cat hasn't eaten after three days, get them in. I'm Because my focus is nutrition, I'm always going to try to get them in much sooner than that. Because if we can get nutrients into this cat, figure out the underlying cause of the cat not eating, anorexia, cachexia, um, you know, what disease uh, condition is happening, 
then we can help get that cat feeling better sooner. We can manage the disease condition sooner because the longer they go without eating, the worse outcome uh, we will see. Now, potentially leading to fatty liver disease, which we'll talk about. Yes. And also, when we come back, we will shock you because Kara will explain <laughs> that the cats we most think are not likely to say, I'm not going to eat for a day, and then think it's okay if they don't eat for a day or two or three because they have so much reserve. Those are the ones most likely to have a problem. Yes. We'll explain when we come back with Kara Burns on WGN. Her name is Kara Burns. She's a friend, a veterinary technician superstar, if I will, <laughs> who specializes in nutrition. Uh, and we're talking about if a cat doesn't eat for even a day, there could be a serious problem. Absolutely. I want to talk about what that problem is. But first, how do you know the cat hasn't eaten for a day? To me, it is hugely important to understand. Most people don't have a cat. They have 2.3 cats, I think <laughs> right. it is, right? Yeah. So how do you know which cat is eating more or less, if at all, right? right? To me, that's a huge issue. It is a huge issue. It's hard to know. If we, ha if we as a veterinary healthcare team have not talked to them about how to feed each cat individually and how much that cat should eat, it's very difficult for a pet owner to, to, to tell. Um, and so what oftentimes happen is, happens is the pet owner, the cat owner doesn't, even notice mm -hmm. that the cat isn't eating and that becomes an emergency situation and you know you um mentioned before the the break that it's the cats that we don't think about that are most at risk for as you said hepatic lipidosis it's our overweight cats of which 60 percent of the cats in the u.s are overweight um, or obese and those cats are the ones that um with hepatic lipidosis, um, they're oftentimes, they, they stop eating. The owner doesn't notice because it's a chubby cat, right? The cat's yeah. overweight, and they're thinking, oh, well, you know, there's a little bit more food in the bowl. Whoever missed that, you know, they, they can go for a little bit. Well, no, absolutely not because of um, the underlying disease condition. The liver is, is starting to shut down, if you will, and we need to get that cat in to start managing not only the underlying disease condition, the liver um, disease, fatty liver disease, but get nutrients into them. The sooner we can get nutrients into them, the, the better for the entire body. So that's why you said 24 hours. Yeah. If the cat's yeah. not eaten anything yeah. for 24 hours, that's, yeah, is that's, that an emergency? To, to me, absolutely, especially right. in our overweight cats. Yeah, so, so explain to me how it is a dog, for the most part, can go a day without eating, and, and you're not so worried. <laughs> a person can go a day without eating, and... Unless I'm that person, that's never going to happen <laughs> for me. But but a per and there's no problem, right? right? Except maybe the person gets a headache. Right. But that's not the case for cats. Tell me yeah. what the physiology is there. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because of um, own, uh, yeah, owners, I was going to say when I meant to say humans and dogs are omnivores, so they get their nutrients from a variety of plant and animal um, sources. Cats are obligate carnivores. They absolutely need to have um, 
animal protein sources in their diets. From that, they um, receive certain amino acids that physiologically they can't make themselves. So they have to get that. For, for instance, there are some amino acids um, um, that if they do not get that within a 24-hour period, that can be a life-threatening condition. Yeah. So, you know, a cat not eating for, th- you know, three to four days, that cat is going to be very, very sick and highly unlikely to pull through if they're not seen um, much sooner. So, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a physiology really be, be between a cat and a dog. And some owners may not like it, but dogs are omnivores. Cats are carnivores. That's just the fact. Yeah, it, it whether is. Whether you like yeah. it or not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's just the physiology of the two species. Right. All right, so... Tell me this. So you have cats now. I'm going to ask you about geriatric cats. Mm-hmm. And our cats are living longer than ever before. Which is a testament to veterinary medicine and, all, and the Every Cat Health Foundation. All of the institutions that have looked at cats and said, there's so much more we can do if we research this. or you know, And, and then we take that research and apply it in the veterinary hospital. So, sorry, I, I get excited about no, longevity I, of cats because of we love our cats and yes. we want them to live as and long as, as possible. They, have you ever met a person who's 183 years old? So if that person's yeah. 183, probably they're going to look, even if in earlier in their life they were rather rotund, mm-hmm. now they're going to look very thin thin right if they're 183 right maybe really thin if they're 183 (laughs) (laughs) and and that's same for a lot of mammal species not only humans but other species as well we're talking about the loss of muscle mass Mm -hmm. in geriatrics that's common yes but that also can lead to a disease state in fact it in of itself that's a disease state correct right yeah we we as veterinary healthcare team members need to be educating our owners again from the beginning about all sorts of things. And obviously I'm going to be focused on nutrition, but as our pets age, as our cats age, they are more prone to losing muscle mass, as you alluded to. And the body is trying to compensate from the loss of protein and amino acids by utilizing different muscle sources um you know for for the listeners take a look at your older cats and you know is do you you see more of a a dip in their you know around their eyes and um, ears because that is one of the first places that we will see muscle wasting or muscle loss Um, again no matter the the reason behind it nutritionally speaking we can help to at least maintain, if not give, you know, um, uh, extra nutrients or, or have a formulation with extra nutrients to try to combat that muscle wasting, be it from um, a disease condition or from old age. And old age is not a disease. We right? We all are going to become older. Um, well, that's the hope. Yeah. Well, that's true. Um, and you know, we just we just need to remember that. We need to focus on our observations with our cats and call our veterinary health care teams and get them in. Kara Burns, thank you so much. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Hey, happy Pet Dental Health Month to all of you. 
The American Veterinary Medical Association is celebrating. You know what? I go back for years when this promotion first began. It's really taken off. I mean, people people understand that caring for your pet's teeth is important. But I want to talk a little about why, if you don't mind. And then give you a great resource. So grab a pen, if you still have a pen anywhere in the house, or a pencil or something to write on. So here's what happens. Uh, we brush our teeth, right? I hope you do. I, I I brushed my teeth this morning and gargled and all. But what if you go weeks or months without doing that? Yeah, can you imagine what that would be like? So no wonder why our pets sometimes have dental issues. They have very crowded mouths as well, particularly small dogs and many cats do. And that makes matters worse. And if if no attention is paid, no dental care whatsoever, that teeth cleaning doesn't happen. Here's what happens. Uh, the bacteria caused by the plaque and carter doesn't just stay on those gums. It courses through the pet's system in time, and illness can occur as a result, not to mention pain. That hurts. So let's prevent all of that and take care of our pet's teeth and celebrate Pet Dental Health Month. You can learn more at avma.org slash petdental. avma.org slash petdental. So here's what happens. You go to the veterinarian and maybe you're taking longer to get into the clinic because that's just the way it is now. So instead of waiting a couple of days or even a week or two to get in, it takes maybe a month to get in. So you're there and you're kind of stressed anyway because you're concerned just in general about your pet and it took so long to get in. And now your veterinarian is listening to your dog or your cat's heartbeat and then you see a look on their face like, "Uh uh-oh. Like, I hear a murmur is what the veterinarian says, or maybe a galloping heartbeat. Neither which is terrible in of itself, necessarily, but the next step would be to take an ultrasound, particularly if you have an older animal or certain breeds as well, say a Doberman and dogs, a Maine Coon cat. All right, so you want to get an ultrasound. How do you get an appointment to do that? Because the veterinarian doesn't have ultrasound equipment as at the clinic. You have to go to a specialty clinic, and that wait can be six months. Uh, really? Can you believe it? Six months. Well, there's a solution to this that, at least in Chicago, so be grateful if you live in the Chicago area, Dr. Jeff Bloomberg has. Uh, that is an ultrasound center specifically for that purpose. And we will talk about that Next week, right here on WGN. Representative Rita Mayfield is here to talk about something really good she's doing, moving a step forward from what Senator Linda Holmes did last year, which is this. If you have, and I hope you do, everybody should, homeowner's insurance that certain dog breeds or even mixes or presumed breeds that the insurance companies actually don't get right are either charged more for because you have that breed or, oh, they, we won't, we, we exclude you. We won't even insure you anymore. Or at least if the dog was involved in something, no, you're not covered for that. People don't know that. And that's ridiculous in the first place. So Rita Mayfield, first of all, thank you for very much for joining us. Oh, no, thank you for having me, and thank you. You know, this is such an important subject. You know, it's near and dear to my heart and to so many others, so just thank you for having me on. Well, thank you, and I want to know in a moment why it's near and dear to your heart, but here's what happened. During the pandemic, all over the country, including Chicago, shelters said, help, because they didn't know. They didn't know if volunteers or employees would be able to come in to uh, feed the dogs or cats, to scoop the boxes, walk the dogs, all of that. So 
desperately all over, not only all, all over the country, to some extent all over the world, called for people to adopt animals or at least foster if they could to clear out the shelters. Well, people did step up. They did exactly that. So here, you're adopting a dog. You're doing a wonderful thing by taking that dog into your house, maybe as a foster, maybe as a forever family member. And that dog is now in the house. And then something happens. And then you, you're you not worried about it. I've got insurance. No problem. That is what insurance is for. And you notify the insurance company and they say, oh, you have a Akita. You have a Rottweiler, even if it's not really a Rottweiler. But that's what they say. Or you have a pit bull. They're number one on the list. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So we're not covering you. And I believe what you're saying is enough is enough. That isn't right. That, that's correct. It is unfair. It is unfair to penalize individuals. You know, most um, of our pets, we consider them as family members, number one, whether they're, you're fostering them or if you're adopting them or if you just went out and got one. That, that's a family member. It's a lifelong commitment. You know, they're not toys. And to penalize good dog owners or to say, you know, you need to pay, uh, pay more or to turn them away from housing or we're just not going to insure you because you earn a certain, uh, own a certain breed, it's just not fair. It is unfair to all the way around. So here's the strange thing. I'm going to make it even stranger and more unfair. That, uh, and these kind of things happen every day. Let's say you have, I mentioned Akita earlier, and you live in Chicago, but mom lives in Indiana. So you drive to Indiana with your Akita, and then, God forbid, something happens involving the Akita at your mom's house. You know you're covered by your insurance carrier in Illinois, but somehow the Akita is no longer covered by the same insurance carrier or another insurance carrier, it doesn't matter, in Indiana. How can a dog breed or a dog be safe and fine and wonderful in one state and then be considered inherently dangerous in another state. And this happens for all sorts of breeds all the time with these insurance companies. You know, a lot of it has to do with lack of knowledge. Um, these individuals are just making broad um, assumptions based upon the breed of the dog, and they're totally unfounded and untrue. Are there a few... Um, you know, negligent dog owners out there, absolutely. And they should be penalized. But to penalize every family that owns a specific dog, to penalize, you know, just buildings or dog breeds as a whole, that, that's unfair. And it's really not the way that we should be uh, doing business. And, and this does have to do, so the number one reason right now that uh, animals are being given up again, this is not only Chicago, but nationwide, all over the, sh- all, two shelters all over, uh, isn't, you know, I've read pandemic puppies are given up, but people are tired of them. They're going back to work or whatever. No, none of that is true. Housing issues Housing. intertwined with the economy in many cases, that's the number one reason. And if you can't get insurance, what do you do? You know, then you may be forced in your own mind or understandably in some ways to give up that animal. Now, having said this, I do want to make a point of saying State Farm Insurance and a couple of other insurers don't care what breed you have. They care about your dog's history. So if your dog 
has a history of biting, for example. Yes, there's a, there legitimately is a concern, but it doesn't, it could be a, a miniature poodle, it could be a pit bull, it could be any dog. That's correct. That's the concern, this is the behavior and the history of, but they don't care about breed, but most insurance companies, the overwhelming majority, have these lists and they vary crazily from state to state. And is that why you're saying that this doesn't make any sense at all. Well, you know, I was at a conference, a national conference of insurance legislators in the fall, and this particular issue came up because it is something that uh, dog breeders across the the nation, dog owners across the nation, you know, shelters across the nation are all coming together and saying enough is enough. You know, we need uniform laws, and we cannot continue to penalize individuals based upon the type of breed of dog that they have. Again, if you have a bad dog owner out there, penalize that person, but don't hold the entire industry hostage because you had one or two bad characters. So that was kind of, it kind of piqued my interest when this bill came up. I'm like, wait a minute, that's just common sense. You know, I had no idea that individuals were being penalized because they had a certain type of dog. And to say that this, you know, a pit bull is inherently an evil dog, that's just wrong because I know pit bull owners, and some of those dogs are so lovable. They just want hugs and kisses. You know, they're family members. And to say, you know what, this dog is just dangerous, it's wrong. We cannot continue to just put these blanket assumptions out there. We have to address this. Well, I love your passion, and I want to talk more about this, particularly the pit bull issue, which is in some ways the heart of all of this, and why this means so much to you, which is what you said earlier. We'll do that with Representative Rita Mayfield when we come back on WGN. Representative Rita Mayfield is doing something great for dogs, actually. Illinois isn't the only state representative that is saying that this doesn't make any sense. Some states have said this already. Some states, like us are in the process of doing something about it. What I'm talking about is your homeowner's insurance. Whether you own a home, whether you have an apartment and you hopefully are insured, or a condominium. It doesn't matter where you live. Hopefully you have some protection. That is a good thing, arguably a necessary thing to have. And then you bring a dog into the picture, and very often, as you point, you said, I had no idea it was like this. Well, Many people don't. You're hardly alone. Where they bring a dog in, it could be an Irish setter, for Christ's sakes, you know? And and the insurance company, because they've had a bad experience with an Irish setter in that state that year, say, you either have to pay more money because you have an Irish setter, or when there comes time to make a claim, say, hey, whoa, we don't cover Irish setters. Sorry, you're just out of luck. And that doesn't make any sense. But what started all of this were dogs you'd look at and say is a pit bull. And uh, Representative, years ago, uh, I said, and I wasn't alone in saying this by any means, that you're calling it a pit bull because it has a certain look to it, that particular kind of dog. But actually, Mm -hmm. there's a great variance in what pit bulls look like as far as size and shape. So a dog that you'd call a pit bull walking past an animal shelter, anti-cruelty societies just down the street from where we are now, and they have these windows on the street, and you'd say, that one's a pit bull, that one and that one, but they all look really different. Not only is the color different, one may be 20 pounds, and the other may be closer to 120 pounds, and the reason why there is so much variation is because when it comes down to it, 
They're just mixed breed dogs. So my assertion way back in the day turns out to be genetically, because we can do those tests now, correct that these dogs are mostly, not 100%, there are some American pit bull terriers out there and other dogs that are members of the pit bull family, but most of the dogs, by far, most of the dogs are simply mixed breed dogs. They have this blocky head. They have certain things in common that, okay, we call it a pit bull. What they don't have in common and there's no you're ahead of me perfect yes yes (laughs) yes and that is the thing that the insurance companies who are not dog experts do not understand or care about i'm not i thought insurance companies representative are supposed to because i know for car insurance we have a certain kind of car we live in a certain neighborhood they look at the data and they say that okay you're going to pay x amount of dollars because this is the kind of car you have this is even the color car you have because apparently i didn't know this until recently certain colored cars are more likely to be stolen than others uh, and this is the neighborhood you live in where there may be more or fewer accidents. And they look at actuarial, I think it's called data. But there is none of this data for dogs, really. So they're kind of making it up as they go along based on their own internal studies, which might not even be right in the first place. Because Well, they're basing it on assumptions yes. and a few bad articles in the newspaper. That That's where it comes from. They, You know, everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon. You see, oh, you know, a uh, dog attacked um, a three-year-old. Where did that happen? How did it happen? You know, that was a isolated incident. Was it horrific? Absolutely, and it should never have happened, but you have to look at the owner. You can't just uh, wave this blanket brush and cover all dogs based upon something that you read. This, You know, my bill, House Bill 1049, is about fairness and basic decency. Loving, well-behaved pets should not be assumed to be a threat, and they definitely should not be lumped together with problem animals based, you know, just based solely on their breed. We have to stop, you know, this blanket coverage. We have to stop doing things like this. Well, I, I, I of course, agree, but I'd say presumed breed because yes. that dog they're calling a pit bull is a mixed breed dog as one example, but there are many other examples. I, this is a real example. I said, Irish said her earlier, this really did once happen to a friend in New York who happens to be a dog breeder who had an Irish setter. And the insurance guy comes out to do something else, but he noted in his notes that they had a pit bull. Well, this is a purebred show dog. Irish setter, which in my mind looks nothing like what we think of a pit bull, but that's what the insurance guy said, and therefore they were dropped. And then they oh had a difficult time getting a policy somewhere else because they because apparently the insurance companies, at least at that time, I, I assume today too, shared information. You know, it's it at any level, this is just not right. It's I, I call it profiling. It, no, it's fundamentally discriminatory. That That's basically what it is. They are discriminating because of unfair and untrue assertions about particular breeds of dogs. Now, what will your bill in Illinois do? Okay, my bill will basically just set the stage and say you will no longer, you can penalize an individual, you know, based upon that particular dog's behavior, but you cannot have a blanket coverage. You cannot deny somebody insurance. 
You cannot deny them housing because of a particular breed of dog. You will no longer be able to just have this blanket brush that we're going to just sweepingly say all dogs of this breed are bad. You know, it will only target those individuals where there have been proven cases where that dog's temperament or behavior was overly aggressive. They can charge a, um, increased insurance rates or say, you know what, we're not going to cover you based upon past behaviors. But they cannot, you know, deny you insurance or discriminate based just because you own a Chihuahua or a mixed breed um, terrier or any other type of dog. We're going to take away the, these discriminatory practices. So one of the big problems all over the country, as I said, and including Chicago, is housing. And a lot of us have worked on this for a long time where uh, owners of or uh, the associations that dictate what condominium associations do, the HOAs, or rentals uh, for uh, landlords, uh, they will say, okay, if you have a dog over X number of pounds, that's random, 30 pounds, whatever it might be, you cannot live here. Or we don't allow dogs. Would you like to see that changed? I would definitely like to see that change. Now, myself, I have two small fur babies, but, you know, my son, he has a larger dog. I think his dog is like 50 pounds, but he is so lovable. He's actually more gentle than my dogs who are just, you know, my dogs are like 10 and 15 pounds. It just, you know, so that's why I'm seeing when you look at a dog and you just look at their breed and say, oh, well, that dog is going to be dangerous or this dog's going to be a problem versus, you know, another type, you're just making blanket assumptions and it is just fundamentally discriminatory and it has to stop. We want fair assessments. We want fair insurance rates. And we, want, we don't want to be denying anybody a family member. And to say, you know what, you cannot stay in this particular housing you know, because you own this type of dog. You know, you have to understand, these are family members to a lot of us. You know, this is just not, you know, it's not a toy. You know, this was not something that, oh, you know what, it wasn't a whim. I just want to go get a dog. No, this is a family member. We have invested in our dogs. You know, we take, they go have regular doctor's appointments. They go to the dentist. They have clothes. Oh, my God, my dogs have clothes. But, you know, <laughs> these are family members. You know, so I introduced this legislation that would protect dog owners from uh, housing discrimination, you know, and to say to to send a message to these insurance companies, you know what, you're going to have to get it together, and you're going to have to recognize that these are family members. You know, not all dogs are bad. Not all dog owners are bad. And you cannot um, apply blanket rules across the board just because of one or two bad characters. Well, I wish we had more time. And the other issue is equitability, because in some neighborhoods in Chicago, it's easier to find a place that actually has benefits if you live there for with a dog. You have to pay for them. But nevertheless, they want you because they realize so many people now do have a dog and they want to fill their spaces up. And there's much more data out there about uh, making the living. It's, it's actually safer to live in a community where there are dogs, et cetera, et cetera. So... I would love to talk to you further about all of this, and I'm sure we will down the road. Representative Rita Mayfield, thank you so much for being so passionate about this issue. Thank you so much for having me. So there you are at 3 in the morning. You're just sleeping, and you hear, did you hear that? Something knocked off the dresser. Who did that? The cat, of course. And when your cat does that, pay attention to which paw 
your cat uses. It turns out cats have paw preference. They can be left or right pawed, if you will. Researchers at the Animal Behavior Center at the Queen's University in Belfast analyzed data from 44 cats And we're talking about as many males as females. Owners were asked to track whether their feline friend used their left paw or right paw when taking a step downstairs. What is that first step, left or right paw? Or when stepping into the litter box or knocking things off counters. Do they have a paw preference? Well, it turns out they do. Uh, have a preference, 73% at least do, so that's most cats. In cats, unlike people, handedness, or being left or right pawed, if we're talking about cats, is dependent on greatly gender. Female felines more likely to favor their right paw, while males tend to favor their left one. In humans, left-handers, they say, are more creative. I think so. I'm I'm left-handed, of course. Might the same be true in cats? Is your cat more creative? Or is it just a sex thing, if you will, that males tend to be left-pawed and females right-pawed? Does it really matter in the long run? Well, probably the answer to that is no. So check it out with your own cat. See if your cat, let me know as well, see if your cat is left-pawed or if your cat is right-pawed. And does it make any difference at the end of the day, which it probably may not? Uh, Next week on the show, ultrasound centers. One is popping up in Chicago. This is a great idea. We'll explain what that is next week on Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN.